The following recording is a production of Kicking Out at Two in conjunction with the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network and is intended for private use only. For more information, head on over to facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two or our Twitter handle at kicking out two, along with searching Retromania with a W on any and all podcast platforms available to listen to archive shows such as this and all the great content of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Evergreen content at your fingertips anytime at your listening pleasure. And with that being said, we thank you for listening and hope you enjoy the show. And welcome to a very impromptu edition of Kicking Out It 2 this week. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth. And normally, you know, I have a schedule mapped out when it comes to shows. Sometimes I like to do some things on the fly, and this just happens to be a case where I thought it would be it'd be appropriate at this time to share my thoughts and my opinions regarding some 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 major hot button topics, excuse me, in wrestling that took place this past weekend. Um, it's Tuesday, February twenty first, twenty twenty three. This is when uh, I'll be dropping the show uh, later this afternoon for all of you on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Search Retromania with a W on Podbean or any podcast platform available to find this show, as well as Marking Out the Days, Cool Truth with AC, all kinds of great bonus content over there at your fingertips with Retromania on any podcast platform. So find it, like, subscribe, rate, review, do the damn thing, because that's a cheap plug you're getting this on this episode of Kicking Out It Too. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about the, um, the the events that transpired with the Elimination Chamber. I wanted to give my thoughts on that show, as well as the the controversial back and forth uh, Twitter uh, joust between AEW's owner Tony Khan and MMA analyst, journalist, whatever you want to call him, um, Ariel Helwani. Uh, I, I thought that those were the two biggest um, stories in this last week. That show, the controversy surrounding the show, as well as the tweets and the back and forth between Helwani and Tony Khan. And a lot of it really struck a chord with me as a fan. Um, and I'll get into all that. There is a lot to unpack. And let's not wait any further. Let's just get right down to the brass taxes of it all. Um, let's talk about the tweet. Okay. Um, on Friday Night Smackdown. The show emanated from Montreal, Canada, which was also the site of Saturday night's Elimination Chamber event. And Ariel Helwani, a Montreal, Quebec native, uh, was was asked by WWE to partake in the show. And he was in the crowd, kind of hyping up the homecoming of Sami Zayn with the audience kind of surrounding him, getting all hyped up. Um, He also took part in a video uh, voiceover regarding the history of Montreal and wrestling and WWE on WWE social media platform. I thought it was a, a very well done. Um, I'm sure I'll get some flack for giving him credit, but whatever. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go loose. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to say some things that are going to offend some people about my, my thoughts on this. And quite frankly, I really don't care anymore uh, because I've tried playing nice the last few days, trying to have constructive discussions with people. And especially on Twitter, it's been, it's been outlandish. What I've had to deal with on Twitter. God forbid I share an opinion that might not reflect yours. And it's just, it's blasphemy. It's like, I don't even, it's like talking politics. And I don't even talk politics. I don't have a political party that I'm in favor of. Um, I, 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 I just, I, I avoid that 
so that I don't get myself worked up, but yet I spent all my time and energy this past weekend going back and forth with people on social media, mainly Twitter. There's a few folks on Facebook, and they know who they are. Whatever, I'm not going to get into that too much, but um, the, the, the majority of the... The angst I have is towards wrestling Twitter and how toxic it is. And how toxic interacting with people on social media is. That's why I keep my social media limited to things that I share about with my wife or with, you know, the, the, the happy memories I have of wrestling on kicking out at two social media platforms and things like that, you know. Um, I don't really get into too much that's going to get someone emotionally charged and, and turn it into this big giant debate. You know, everyone's a keyboard warrior these days when it comes to, you know, their fingertips on the on the, on the the phone and, and tweeting and things like that. But anyways, long story short, I just went on a little bit of a rant. I'm probably going to do that from time to time. Just a heads up. But a lot to unpack. So anyways, Ariel Helwani was working for WWE uh, on Friday Night SmackDown. And halfway through the, the show, AEW owner Tony Khan... Put this tweet out, and let me actually look for it because I took a picture of it. I'm going to find it here. Um, it was pretty. I wouldn't say it was rough, but it was. Um, it was. It wasn't very nice. You're a fraud, at Ariel Hewani. You're as legitimate of a reporter as Tony Schiavone at Tony Schiavone 24. Hashtag AEW Rampage. First of all, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go baby steps here. Um, <laughs> you, 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 you hashtag rampage, which by the way, aired at 7 PM on TNT earlier in the evening because of NBA all-star weekend festivities that took precedent over your wrestling company. Um, the, the reason behind this tweet and the history between these two, let me, let me break that down for you. Once I saw this tweet, immediately I thought to myself, okay, this is going to be, this is going to get ugly. This is going to get really ugly, okay? For 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 Khan, for Helwani, for even WWE, AEW, the wrestling community, myself, it's just going to get ugly. There was an interview that had took place in the fall, I want to say it was October, that Ariel Helwani had Tony Khan on his podcast. And Tony Khan, according to Ariel Helwani, had refused to answer questions regarding the all-out media scrum controversy that involved the physical altercation between CM Punk and members of the elite. Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, I think there's a few other folks that were involved. Um, So Helwani had interviewed him. And following the interview... In the most professional way possible, Helwani stated that basically Tony Khan was a difficult interview. He didn't want to answer questions surrounding the all-out media scrum. And he just, he felt like he didn't give him something. Like give him something newsworthy or, I guess, to to promote the interview. He just felt, I guess, Helwani just felt the interview was flat. And so, he... This was Tony Khan's response four months later. Four months later on social media, he took the opportunity to take a personal shot at Ariel Helwani, which showed the incredible, immature behavior 
on his part. That's just my opinion. I'm sure I'm going to get blasted for it. But here's the crazy part, and this is going to get even better, okay? The, the next night at the Elimination Chamber premium live event, Ariel Helwani was sitting in the crowd with UFC MMA legend George St. Pierre, who is a Montreal, Quebec native. And Michael Cole, the camera cut to them both. They had the graphic up underneath. And Michael Cole simply said, MMA journal, unbiased MMA journalist Ariel Helwani asking you all the hard questions you don't want to answer. And the wrestling world and wrestling Twitter just blew up. Okay? Blew up. The defenders and supporters of Tony Khan have rationalized his immature behavior due to the fact that Ariel Helwani didn't. Ariel Helwani did not give Triple H, Paul Levesque, the WWE's chief operating officer, chief creative of content, whatever his, his title is, he's head of creative. He didn't give Triple H those hardball questions that he gave Tony Khan in his interview. Now, Ariel Helwani interviewed Triple H a month prior to the Tony Khan interview. That interview aired on BT Sports, social media platforms, and was what had taken place the weekend of Clash of the Castle, which was in Cardiff, Wales, which was also the same weekend that AEW held their all-out event. And so my my gripe with this was the fact that the the defenders of Tony Khan totally glossed over the fact that he took a cheap shot at this dude over an observation, a constructive criticism regarding Tony Khan's behavior during the interview in October, okay? He didn't demean the man. He didn't disrespect the man. He didn't question his credibility as an owner of a football team, an owner of a soccer team, an owner of a wrestling organization, his skills as a booker and wrestling promoter. He didn't do any of that. He simply made a professional observation regarding how difficult the interview was. That's what he said. Simple as that, okay? Simple as that. And that's how Tony Khan wants to respond, by calling him a fraud, by questioning this man's means of living. Now, I'll go on record as to say, I don't follow Ariel Helwani, okay? I know he's an MMA analyst, journalist. I'm sure people are going to debate that, that, that label as well. However, I watched the interview with him and Tony Khan, and... It felt like, on Ariel's end, he was pulling teeth. Now, there are those detractors out there that are defending Tony Khan. Like I said, they wanted Ariel to deliver the hardball questions, but he doesn't because he shows favoritism and bias towards WWE because he works for WWE. Let's get something straight. Ariel Helwani works for BT Sports. He covers WWE and MMA. Okay, they've even covered some AEW content on on their 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 media platform as well. Okay, he's had Jericho and MJF on his podcast before. He has expressed overwhelming positive reactions and thoughts to AEW's programming since they've started three year over three years ago. Okay, go download episodes; it's there. It's not like I'm making this up. All right, Helwani. Ask the questions that he asked with Triple H, okay? Now, there's something also, too, that I think a lot of wrestling fans that 
are defending Tony Khan don't understand. All right? WWE has a, a public relations team that sends their talents out to these media companies to represent them, and they screen questions, okay? It's no different than any other major sport or entertainment avenue or media. You do a talk show or a radio show or a late-night talk show. You go to promote a brand. You go to promote um, an upcoming event, a sporting event, you, you anything. Those questions get screened, okay? If you watch those those talk shows, do you notice how seamless most of those interviews are? How the the exchange between both the the interviewer and the interviewee is relatively easy? It's because these questions have been screened ahead of time. Who's to say? And I'm not stating this as fact, but who's to say that WWE's public relations team didn't screen the questions that Ariel Helwani was going to ask Triple H in that interview in Cardiff a month before the Tony Khan interview. Who's to say that didn't happen? There are those out there that I've had conversations with, verbal exchanges with on Twitter, who claim that Ariel Helwani should have asked Triple H why they, or should have asked Triple H um, how the company moving forward is going to handle sexual harassment or sexual assault claims and misconduct. First of all, Triple H's role in the WWE, for the most part, is head of creative. He's in charge of the creative content on their programming. Raw, SmackDown. Okay? Triple H doesn't work in human resources. Sexual assault claims and sexual assault misconduct are a human resources thing. That's not something that someone in his position would be aware of. But, you wrestling purists out there, you want to think that you know it all, so apparently Ariel Helwani should have asked that question. Just like he should have asked the question regarding the allegations of WWE preventing AEW from performing in certain buildings in certain towns. Okay? He should have asked those too, apparently. Right? Who's to say that WWE's PR team said, The Vince sexual assault allegations are off limits. You will not ask those questions. Otherwise, the interview doesn't take place. This is what we want to cover. We want to cover uh, promoting the Cardiff show. We want to cover Triple H's new role and the the new and exciting ventures that are taking place in the company under new management. Those are the things that I got from the general gist of that interview. I watched clips of it. I didn't watch the whole thing frame by frame, but I watched clips of it, and that seemed to be the general gist of it. Okay? Okay. Who's to say WWE's PR team didn't approach Helwani with that? Who's to say Helwani didn't have those hardball questions already in his back pocket ready to go, but they said, no, you're not doing that, okay? But you th- you, you, you people out there on Twitter, you think that you have it all fucking figured out, right? All because your boy Tony Khan made a fucking asshole out of himself on Twitter, okay? Now, let's go to... Let's go to the the Tony Schiavone reference, okay? The Tony Schiavone reference was interesting because in some ways, Tony Khan kind of put down Tony Schiavone, all right? Now, Tony Schiavone has never claimed to be a reporter or a journalist of sorts, but Tony Schiavone has 
um, a lot of credentials and credibility in his broadcasting background that goes outside of the wrestling world. We all know him as the lovable Tony Schiavone on WCW, Monday Nitro, and, and all the WCW programming throughout the years on Turner Networks. That's what, that's what we know Shivani for. Shivani made the big comeback with his podcast a couple of years ago, and he's a part of AEW. He's, he's firmly entrenched on the broadcast team, as well as in, uh, being involved in some stuff behind the scenes. Shivani's back in wrestling. I think that's a good thing. I like Tony. Always had a soft spot for him, okay? The man called me on my phone personally and thanked me for buying a fucking t-shirt when he started that podcast. And we talked for a few minutes about Yukon um, girls basketball, because... Tony used to cover college basketball in Georgia for the Georgia Bulldogs. Tony used to also have a sports radio show in the Atlanta area. Tony used to also call Gwinnett Braves Baseball, which is a minor league affiliate of the Atlanta Braves team. Okay, So Tony's credentials as a sports analyst, color commentator, and maybe, dare I say, a reporter, is far better than what Tony Khan claimed he was in that tweet. You essentially insulted one of your employees, one of your television personalities, just to get a point across that Ariel Helwani is a fraud. Now, I'm not going to sit here and, 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 like I said, claim I know a lot about Helwani and his, his, his journalistic background. I'm going to get into that shortly. But what Tony Khan did was not only make a fool out of himself, but he dragged another individual that wasn't even involved in the beef on Twitter and made a big fucking spectacle out of it. Made an asshole out of himself. And that's one of the reasons why probably a lot of fans don't watch AEW because of the obnoxious nature of the fan base. If you don't agree with what they have to say, if you don't share the same opinion, if you present them with an alternative perspective or a different criticism, you know what you get? You get that you're a WWE drone or that you're a hater of AEW. God forbid a company that's three years old makes mistakes and people point out their criticisms. Okay? God forbid that happens. People like Tony Khan are a perfect representation of what's wrong with the AEW wrestling fan base. Now, there are some AEW fans I know that are completely opposite of that that are open-minded to the criticisms that that presents itself with their programming at times, okay? And let me be the first to say, I'm a fan of AEW. I want to see the company succeed. I like the fact that Tony Khan has personally invested money of his own, whether it came from his inheritance by his father or whatever, but money of his own to start a major wrestling organization and give more people an opportunity to work on a national level. I respect the hell out of that. But all these tactics and these these behaviors and these disruptive episodes that he seems to have publicly, whether it's at a media scrum, whether it's on social media, just to get his brand over, it's not working. Whatever it is, it's not working. You know, he's 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 trying to take a page out of Eric Bischoff's book when Eric Bischoff launched Nitro. All right, Eric Bischoff launched Nitro. He went straight to the competition. He went live. He, he, he revealed spoiler results on his show. You know, he he acquired talent from the opposition and put them on his programming. He addressed the elephant in the room publicly in the wrestling bubble that we're here to stay. We're here to be a big player. Tony Khan's trying to do that, but he's got a different approach about it that's just not working. 
in my opinion. It's not working, okay? Occasionally, they'll get a million viewers. The demo's up. Big deal about the fucking demo. The demo only matters when AEW is doing something good. But when AEW doesn't perform at the expectations that many people expect them to perform at, all of a sudden, the demo don't mean shit, according to the, the, the AEW diehards out there, right? That's another conversation for another day. But nonetheless, Tony Khan they, they, and, and AEW hasn't performed at the level that many people are expecting them to, okay? And some of that is fault of their own. But the fan base doesn't want to take the, the accountability, and neither does Tony Khan, it sounds like, for the missteps that the company has gone through. Okay, which is normal for a young organization. They're three years old. This shit's going to happen. It's wrestling. I'm not faulting them for that. But the, what I fault them for is not being able to take accountability. And that's a big thing for me in life. Not just with this, but in general. I argue with my wife about accountability. I argue with. I used to argue with, with uh, people I work with regarding accountability. I still do to some degree. Okay, Accountability is a big thing. And that's something he's not taking. And that's something that the fans are not taking regarding Tony Khan's tweet towards Ariel Helwani. Now, Helwani came back with a fantastic reply by saying he called, he called Tony Khan a snowman, which implied that um, one Tony Khan is a, well, at least in some circles, many have suggested that the implication of the, the snowman remark was to portray Tony Khan as some sort of, like, cokehead, all right? There's been rumblings out there online that the guy's probably dabbled in some drugs. I could care less about that shit. As long as nobody gets hurt, you do whatever you want in your free fucking time. You want to put that shit in your body, go ahead. I don't give a fuck. But it's something that has been addressed online. Uh, uh, an urban legend even with some talents that have been involved in AEW in a short period of time, have suggested that um, he's had some, he's dabbled in, in those extracurricular activities when it comes to uh, the, 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 the booger sugar, if you will. Whatever. He said it. He made a comeback, and then everybody thought, oh shit, how dare Ariel say something like that about him? Going that far, taking it that personal. Well, dude, let's face it. Tony Khan's fair game. He's been fair game for a while now. And when he took that shot at Ariel four months later, and Ariel responds back, guess what, dude? Take the loss and move the fuck on. But that's the problem with, the, with, with him and the rest of the fan base. They don't want to move on from it. They don't want to accept accountability, okay? Now, let me backtrack a little bit to Ariel Helwani's response on his podcast, Okay. Um, he, he put out a podcast Monday morning and he gave his explanations. Well, first of all, he, he, he gave um, his account of um, what took place um, that night in Montreal when he found out about the tweet and uh, the, the reaction from a lot of the talent in the back. Uh, oh, did you see that tweet? Oh, man. Oh, man. That's unbelievable. Oh. And he had no idea what was really going on. So then he responds, and he was like, nah, fuck that. You're going to question my credibility as a journalist? Fuck you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond back. I've built this, what I've created with, with, with my brand, and I'm not going to let you tarnish it. 
because you're mad over a constructive criticism, over an observation is essentially what it is, okay? So leading up to the, the interview between Helwani and Khan, Tony Khan, Helwani disclosed that he had reached out to Tony Khan on a few occasions and asked him to be on his podcast. And he didn't get much of a response. And then when he went with, when he had a discussion with, whether it's AEW's PR team or their representatives that represent Tony Khan, I don't know who it was. He didn't disclose that, but he referred to them as they, meaning some sort of group. Um, the, the, the consensus was that Tony Khan was, was apprehensive to appear on his podcast due to the relationship that Ariel Helwani has with WWE CEO Nick Khan. Now, Helwani, De- Helwani addressed that by stating that Nick Khan was his agent at one time earlier in his career before Nick Khan was the CEO of WWE. And there was also some apprehension on Khan's part regarding Ariel Helwani's association with WWE through BT Sports, which is a media company. They also cover MMA, all right? So does that mean he's working for Bellator or UFC when he covers them on BT Sports? No, it doesn't, okay? So it doesn't mean he's working for WWE, albeit he did do some independent work with them Friday night on SmackDown and a voiceover for for the the, the pay-per-view, or the PLE, I should call it. But he's not working with them on a full-time basis. But whatever, you know, people are going to have their thoughts and feelings on it, and that's you. So anyhow, Tony Khan had some apprehension going into the interview. And then finally, he said he was going to do it. Okay? And at the start of the interview... Tony Khan openly admits, I'm fully transparent with everything. Nothing is off limits, essentially. He didn't say it in so many words, but he basically implied that, ask me whatever. So the hard-hitting questions come surrounding the all-out media scrum, physical altercation between CM Punk and the elite. And what does Tony Khan do? He shuts down and refuses to comment on it. Which, by the way, in my opinion... There's nothing wrong with him saying, you know what, I'm not going to comment on it at this time. However, from Helwani's perspective, there was nothing that was disclosed to him that was off limits in terms of topics from AEW's representation. Okay? When he spoke to, whether it's their PR team or their group or whoever represents Tony Khan, his assistant, secretary, whoever, there was nothing in that conversation that indicated These are the things you are not allowed to talk about, okay? And at one point during the interview, Tony Khan had said, well, due to legal reasons, I can't discuss this. So Helwani dug further because he was doing his research and he didn't find any legal documentation proving that that physical altercation between the parties involved had gone and turned into a legal matter. There's no documented police report that Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez claimed to be true regarding this physical altercation that took place backstage in Chicago 
at the all-out pay-per-view following the media scrum. All excuses that have been made by the defenders of AEW, as well as the defenders of Tony Khan, the Meltzers and the Brian Alvarez's of the world, all excuses as to why this subject has never been spoken of publicly by someone the stature of Tony Khan. So Helwani, in some ways, he dug deeper and called him out. And he continued to refuse to discuss it. Which resulted in Helwani making a professional observation regarding Tony Khan's conduct when it came to the interview. Basically saying the interview was difficult. And that's what this really all boils down to. This isn't an AEW versus WWE debate. This is about an individual, an individual who is an executive, the owner of a prominent wrestling organization in the United States that unprofessionally conducted himself and made personal attacks towards Ariel Helwani. Four months later. He waited four fucking months to do it. And that is the rationale from the AEW defenders and the Tony Khan defenders of the world. That, oh, well, he was critical of him in his interview. And he didn't ask the hardball questions that he should have with Triple H following the Tony Khan interview. Which, by the way, get your fucking timelines right. That interview took place a month before the Tony Khan interview. And if Tony Khan ever tweeted, if he never tweeted out this insult towards Ariel Helwani, guess what? All of you basement dwellers that defend AEW and Tony Khan for their conduct so much wouldn't have even known that this interview existed or might have even forgotten it existed in the first place. Nothing was said when this interview aired from all the AEW defenders that Ariel Helwani has been throwing softballs at Triple H in these interviews. Nothing was said. Until now, because you needed a reason to defend Tony Khan and his bullshit. You just needed to. You can't take the L and move on. You can't take accountability and move on. You can't take criticism and move the fuck on. You can't. And it drives me nuts that there are more people out there that are willing to gloss over the way Tony Khan conducted himself to make sure that their point has been proven and that they are they, that that they feel validated, which is crazy to me. It's fucking wrestling for Christ's sakes! It's fucking wrestling. It's a a a genre about males and females in their underwear pretending. To have a physical altercation. Displaying a a safe way of having a physical altercation. A male soap opera. A comic book come to life. And this is what you people do. To make sure that your point has been proven. It's crazy. It's fucking crazy. And then when there's people like myself. Or other people that. Offer an alternative explanation. That's not fact, but it could be an alternative explanation. Something to ponder. We're the bad guys. We're the ones that, 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 that don't see the light. How dare we? How dare we? God forbid share our thoughts and feelings on it. Because if it doesn't reflect yours, 
Oh, it's a fucking problem. Just like every every other debate in this world, whether it's about politics or whether it's about the state of our economy or our society. You can't have a normal constructive conversation without taking personal shots at people or demeaning them or dismissing their feelings. And that's a lot of what I felt on Twitter. Some of it on Facebook with a few individuals. But if I mention their name or if I say, or if I mention specifics, then I'm going to be talking out of turn. So I'm just going to refrain from, from, from leaving some of those individuals' names unnamed because the last time I named somebody personally regarding a verbal altercation that I had with them on, on social media regarding fucking wrestling, oh, man, you would have thought I shot their puppy dog. You would have thought I was the second gunman on the grassy knoll. You would have thought, oh, well, never mind. I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, but let's talk about the, the, the allegations regarding him being a fraud journalist. Okay. Now, like I said, I'm not a follower of him. I have a little bit of background of what he's done in his career as an MMA analyst slash journalist. Um, Jonathan Coachman, former WWE play-by-play guy, former ESPN anchor. Uh, weighed in on the Ariel Helwani issue in a way kind of defending Tony Khan without naming him in in defense. Kind of um, sharing his thoughts and feelings on Helwani and his association with wrestling. And how he felt Helwani disrespected wrestling. And there are people within the industry that don't like Helwani. Um, I don't know of those stories. I've never heard of those stories. I'm not saying they're true, but I just find it very interesting that Coachman just kind of chimed in here. Um, and I and Coachman's been very vocal as of late on social media and in other interviews regarding um, his most recent run with WWE and, and how that didn't work out for him, as well as his time at ESPN too. Um, and the relationship that he tried to broker between ESPN and WWE and how um, he kind of felt left out, I will say. Um, So, to me, it comes across like sour grapes. He's just taking some cheap shots in on the side, but whatever. I don't know of Helwani's background other than the fact that he's covered MMA. There there had been some um, issues between himself and UFC President Dana White. I believe, if I'm I'm not mistaken, I did hear a story that Coachman had had relayed in his tweets regarding um, Helwani's contract not being extended, and the 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 story out there was that he leaked Brock Lesnar's UFC debut um, before it happened, and ESPN and MMA weren't really happy, and ESPN and UFC mainly Dana White weren't really happy with with the result of that, and therefore his contract wasn't extended. Um, I don't follow a lot of MMA, so I, I, I can't speak on that. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and claim I'm an expert as to his background, his credibility. I know he's covered some wrestling, um, whether it's been tied to MMA, whether it's been Brock or Punk. Um, when Punk fought in the UFC a couple of times for a cup of coffee. So I, I know he's, had, he's dabbled in some wrestling. Um, to me, he just came across like a fan. And, uh, you know, he was... He was a Montreal native that was participating in this 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 weekend of events with WWE 
And it was spoiled because of someone who had sour grapes over an incident that took place four months prior. And this was the first of anyone's knowledge that this individual, i.e. Tony Khan, had an issue with Ariel Helwani's way of conducting an interview. And it, it, to me, it kind of ruined his, 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 his weekend in some ways. But at the same time, he also disclosed in his podcast Monday that he doesn't claim to be a wrestling journalist. He's been compared to Dave Meltzer. And he doesn't think it's fair. Um, he's just a fan that was asked to do something and participate. And he, he took the opportunity and Tony Khan blasted him for it. All because Tony Khan doesn't know how to have an adult conversation um, with an individual. He uses Twitter and his keyboard to, to share his feelings, if you will. So my closing thoughts are this. When it comes to this issue, when it comes to the situation, um, take accountability. The dude was wrong for how he conducted himself. Okay? Like I said, it wasn't like Ariel Helwani disrespected him and questioned his credibility um, as a football owner, a wrestling owner, a soccer owner, whatever. It wasn't like he did all that. It wasn't like he name-called him. He detailed how difficult the interview was. And because he did that, Tony Khan lashed out. Because Tony Khan lashed out, the, the, the followers of AEW felt the need to defend it and rationalize his behavior instead of holding him accountable for his actions. Because they would want the same to be done had Tony Khan been on the other side of that coin. Okay? They have before. They have. When Tony Khan has been criticized for how he conducts himself publicly or as an owner by those AEW haters out there. The AEW faithful, the fan base, they're there with torches ready to march down the field and demand some accountability from those people that criticized him. And and unfairly, mind you, because there's been times when Tony Khan's been criticized unfairly. Okay? It goes both ways. But they're not doing the same thing here. Because he's their leader. He's their... How are they? are David Koresh. They don't hold him accountable for this. And like I said earlier, if Tony Khan never tweeted that Ariel Helwani was a fraud, the AEW fan base would have no fucking clue that Ariel Helwani interviewed Triple H. It wasn't a talking point when the interview came out, like I said. It was only brought up to rationalize his behavior. And hopefully all parties involved have moved on. It's kind of silly to discuss, but at the same time, I felt like it was so simple in the fact that he, he disrespected the dude publicly. He disrespected the dude publicly, and people want to rationalize that as if it's okay to take personal shots at people. And I was just baffled by that, that people thought that that was okay and how he conducted himself. So that's why I was on that soapbox all weekend, arguing with people on Twitter and Facebook. And it was just, it, it was, it, it was nonsense. It was absolute nonsense. Um, but yeah, that's where I stand. My own sanity is still intact. And I'm not, uh, I haven't jumped the shark, but I felt that this was the opportunity to express those thoughts 
and, and, and feelings with all of you regarding a hot button topic. And I'm sure that, you know, the Tony Khans of the world and even the Ariel Helwanis are going to tweet and do things that might, you know, ruffle some feathers down the line. But, um, in this case, I, I think Tony Khan was in the wrong and he needs to take the L and move on. And a lot of UAEW defenders and, and, and believers, uh, you need to do the same thing too and just move on. All right, let me move on here when it comes to the Elimination Chamber event itself. Uh, probably one of the best B-show pay-per-views, PLEs, whatever you want to call them, in, in recent memory in WWE history. Uh, you get the Big Four, Rumble, Mania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, and those are expected to deliver because of the history behind them. But then you get these B-show events that are just kind of hit or miss. Take them or leave them. The, the in-between events over the years. Um, Elimination Chamber... To me, at least, um, some people don't see the excitement of it, but it gives it gives talent a second chance and an opportunity to to um, to what's the word? I'm just losing my train of thought here. It gives the talent a second chance to um, to display their 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 abilities in a big match situation as you head towards WrestleMania. It makes it brings some importance to some of these characters that might not be in the bigger picture of some of the major matches at WrestleMania. And it also enhances some of the bigger matches that take place at WrestleMania. Uh, let me start by saying the women's chamber match. Um, I wasn't home to watch it live. I came home um, after dinner. And so I didn't get to see the, the, the match. I watched it back this morning and I thought it wasn't bad. Um, I, I like how Liv Morgan has really... Um, Stepped up her game in big match situations in the last several months. She was number two in the Royal Rumble and went wire to wire with Rhea Ripley being the last eliminated. And so the things that she was doing in the chamber, I thought that was a lot of fun. Raquel Rodriguez, Nikki Cross, they kind of stepped up. Natalia, uh, I didn't really, I didn't really miss her in the match. She didn't really do a whole lot. Um, and same thing for Carmella. Carmella, I guess, I mean, but you know, her character was trying to avoid any kind of confrontation at all costs. So I guess in a way she stood out. But Asuka, clear-cut favorite to win. That's who I wanted to win. I'm really excited to see her and Bianca Belair at WrestleMania. I have a feeling that this is going to be a match that could steal the show on, on either night, whether they, whether they put it on Saturday night or Sunday night of WrestleMania weekend. I... I don't have a whole lot of background regarding the the persona that Asuka is portraying currently. It is a persona that she had portrayed in Japan. A more darker, sinister version um, with a little bit more sex appeal. Um, but um, it's, it's being brought to light under the WWE microscope on television currently. And I'm digging it. I'm liking it. It's a refresh for her. I felt like she's one of those that has needed a, a, a fresh coat of paint for quite a while. And this Elimination Chamber win for her character, as well as moving on to face Bianca, um, I, think it's all, I think it's all a good thing. I, I, I was happy to see that result take place, and I'm really looking forward to that match. Um, and honestly, I think you know as great as Bianca has been in a champion's role within the last year, um, I think... It's time for a change. And I'm not saying Bianca needs to get moved down. or, But maybe Bianca chasing Asuka for the title would be an intriguing story. So 
Oscar um, is a champion. I'm hoping to see at WrestleMania. Um, the Brock Lesnar Bobby Lashley match. First, let's talk about what took place the night before in SmackDown. Bray Wyatt and Uncle Howdy decimated, attacked, laid on a beating, if you will, on Hit Row. Which, by the way, I could care less about Hit Row. I think they do nothing for me. I'm not saying they're not talented, but they just do nothing for me. They're like a dollar store crime time. I mean, it's not good. But anyways, they attack Hit Row. And Bray basically grabs the microphone and says, whoever wins the Bobby Lashley-Brock Lesnar match, you should run. Which implies that either of those two is going to meet Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania. So I thought there was a little bit of intrigue behind that. Why does Bray want the winner? Why isn't he targeting either of the individuals? Why is he just waiting for the winner? I thought there was a, there was a, a sense of intrigue there, in my mind, going into the match. Now, the finish saw Brock deliver a low blow to Lashley as Lashley was applying the hurt lock on Brock. And they've been kind of ex- uh, displaying a sense of vulnerability in Brock's character when he meets Bobby Lashley. We kind of saw it in the, um, the match between the two of them at Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia. And there's been, for, for as much of a dream match as, as, as this has been, as, as fans wanted to depict this as quite some time over the years. In my opinion, some of these finishes have, haven't really lived up to the dream match. The first match they had was at the 2022 Royal Rumble. Roman Reigns interfered, cost Brock the championship. Bobby Lashley became the WWE champion. The crown jewel finish saw Lashley put Brock in the hurt lock and Brock countered and covered Lashley's shoulders to the mat in, in some would say, a fluke-style pin. Um, and then we saw Brock deliver a low blow to Bobby Lashley, sensing some kind of vulnerability that he wasn't able to get out of this hurt lock, which I guess in some ways benefits the, the Lashley character because most people, most fans, myself included, expected um, Brock to come out of this the winner. But at the same time, Adding the element of this question hanging over the match regarding Bray Wyatt, as well as the fact that a match of this magnitude between Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley was advertised as like the rubber match, the fine, almost in a way, without saying it in so many words, the final encounter between the two of them on a B show pay per view, PLE, whatever you want to call it. So I felt like. This avenue of having this match take place on a show like Elimination Chamber was really designed to get you to WrestleMania. And judging by how that finish had been depicted, that's what I thought when Brock Lesnar had low-blowed Bobby Lashley. Now, WWE throws us a little bit of a curveball on Monday night. And we see MVP acknowledging the finish between Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar, who on screen, he used to have an association with Bobby Lashley. For months, he's been trying to reunite the Hurt Business on television, trying to recruit Bobby Lashley. 
and there's been some kind of a mutual understanding between the two characters, but not a full-on association. And MVP acknowledges what took place with Brock Lesnar, and then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, he has challenged Brock Lesnar, or he represents almost the Nigerian giant who challenges Brock Lesnar to a match at WrestleMania, and Brock has to appear next week to answer the challenge. Now, most people are scratching their head, and they're like, what the fuck? After what took place last night, they got to do another Brock Bobby to, to blow this off. You can't just end it that way. And I think I still think they're going to get there. I still think, I think this is going to be a setup to fully reunite the Hurt business, if you will. I think Bobby Lashley will be involved in this. And this sets up some type of gimmick match between the two of them. Whether it's a no holds barred, whether it's a last man standing, whether it's a, a fight pit match that kind of goes back to their both of their, their MMA roots. I think we see Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar finally blow off their rivalry at WrestleMania. Brock Lesnar and Omos is not WrestleMania worthy. Brock Lesnar and, and Omos, maybe, maybe that's a match you would see at a Saudi Arabia event. Maybe a WrestleMania backlash, but not a WrestleMania. Okay? This, my, my, I, I was talking to my brother about this this morning in a text message. I, I said, this can't be real, right? This, I mean, with the way the, the, the booking overall in general within WWE has, has been depicted to us as fans under the Triple H leadership, this isn't something he's just going to like push off to the side and, and, and disregard and then just move Brock into something new and different. I mean, come on. This is another layer to the Brock Bobby Lashley thing. Now, here's the wild card, okay? Now, before I even get to the wild card, my brother, he equated this booking. He says, this feels very Undertaker, Giant Gonzalez, WrestleMania 9-like. And I couldn't agree with him more. However, Undertaker, Giant Gonzalez, that's another discussion for another day. But the wild card in all this, the Bray Wyatt inclusion, okay? There's still that mystery looming over Bray Wyatt or the, the the involvement that Bray Wyatt may or may not have between himself and Bobby Lashley or himself and Brock Lesnar because he called out the winner. And technically, Bobby Lashley was the winner. And Lashley even addressed that on Raw when he beat down Elias and said that nobody's going to get in his way, whether it's Brock Lesnar or whether it's Bray Wyatt or whether it's anybody. So... I feel like there's more to the Bray Wyatt involvement. You know, most people expect, oh, well, they'll just make it a triple threat match. Well, you know, I don't see any sense in that. But I do see Wyatt involved in the buildup. Whether he does some of his hocus pocus shit and basically his involvement in this buildup with Brock and, and, and Bobby, he's going to be lurking in the shadows. There's a mystery behind why he's involved in this. And then whatever he does at WrestleMania is going to answer some of those questions and then pivot to whether he works with Brock or whether he works with Bobby Lashley. Okay? 
That's just my take on it. So if anybody thinks that under Triple H's tenure as head of creative that he was going to shift and move Brock Lesnar to almost, and come on. I mean, that's a, that's a Vince McMahon move. And maybe the old man's got some input in creative. It had been reported by the Dave Meltzers of the world and the Sean Ross Saps of the world, which I, Sean Ross Sapp, he's a good reporter. He could be a fucking asshole on social media, but he, he knows his shit. Whereas Meltzer, Meltzer's an asshole, he's stupid, and he reports garbage. Him and Alvarez, both drink from the toilet together, sharing the same straw. But those guys had reported over the weekend that Vince McMahon had input in the Sami Zayn-Roman Reigns storyline and the match at, at Elimination Chamber. And people have been worried that, oh, the old man's back. His name was is, is was referenced in the credits of the WrestleMania posters and the trailers and things like that. And so um, maybe the old man's got some involvement in this. Maybe the old man said, now nah, you know what? Hey, pal, I, I want Brock and Amos because it makes my dick hard. God damn it. But honestly, I really don't think that's the case. I think this is a smokescreen to, to set up the final encounter between Lashley and and Lesnar at WrestleMania. Why it's involvement? Still a mystery. But I think it's an intriguing mystery. That is going to be presented as a mystery. With Wyatt and all his hocus pocus shit. On the way to WrestleMania. But we'll get an answer at WrestleMania. And then they pivot and move forward. Which I think leads to. Obviously Wyatt working with one of the two. Or having an involvement in the finish of some kind. But that's that's another discussion for another day. But let's continue this Elimination Chamber discussion with the next match. The mixed tag match saw Edge and Beth Phoenix defeat Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley. Um, fun match overall. I mean, I didn't have high expectations for the match, but it was fun. Um, it had appeared that Edge uh, was looking to move past the Judgment Day and move forward to WrestleMania based on you know some of the gestures post-match where he kind of implied to Balor that he was in the rear view and he was focused on WrestleMania and Balor was like, I'm going to get you. This isn't the last of me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we saw a continuation of that rivalry as Balor cost edge the United States championship to Austin theory. Spoiler alert. He won the chamber, but I'll get into that match in a minute. Um, I don't have a pro like the one thing I took from, from that mixed tag match was the fact that Dominic Mysterio has nuclear fucking heat. Okay? People can bitch and people can complain that, you know, he, he got the gig because of his father and, and that's the narrative they want to spin and there might be some truth to that. That's fine. But this new role he has taken on since he had joined the Judgment Day at the Cardiff show, Clash the Castle, Labor Day weekend, earlier, late last year, he has really developed into this like smarmy, slimy, chicken shit heel. And the the whole prison dom thing, I, I, I just think it's a great way for him to get heat. He's been he's a he's a little mommy's boy, kind of following Rhea's lead um, every which way, disrespecting his father along the way. Um, this delusional little punk that thinks he's some 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 lifer in prison that served a shitload of time and he's so tough. Um, I, I, I think 
all these extensions of him and, and things that he has built in this character have been great. His progression has been great. I was not a big fan of him turning on his dad. I was not a big fan of even them having a match. But as time has gone on and the, as Dominic has built this character up, I am fully on board with seeing a match between him and his father, Rey Mysterio, at WrestleMania. I just hope it's not a career match. I hope it's something where they continue this rivalry and it doesn't end at WrestleMania. I know that the the Ray character has been trying to avoid fighting his son. And I think that there's certain um, there's certain elements of this story that's going to continue to play out to where we'll eventually see Ray and Dom at WrestleMania um, in Hollywood this year. So uh, but I Dominic, man, that heat, man, man, fuck you, Dom, and and the the the, the booze and the chance towards him, I just thought that he he's he's really grown into that role, and the audience loves to hate him. And I think that he, this is a big thing for his for him as a performer moving forward. Like this is a big deal. They are going to love to hate him, and he has taken he's owned his role as like this this little young punk, and. It's just been it's it's been great to see this progression. I've been I I've been pleasantly surprised. I had no hopes for it. I thought it was going to be stupid. I thought it was going to be dumb. I didn't like it from the get go, and it's proven me wrong. And I'm happy to I'm happy to say that that I was wrong. Um, as far as Edge and Finn Balor and their rivalry goes, the the big rumor is is that at WrestleMania we're going to see the two of them. It's going to be in a hell in the cell. We might even see Demon Finn Balor make his return. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Hell in the Cell, okay, a big gimmick match to kind of blow off this rivalry. Um, I could take it or leave it, but um, we'll see how they get to that point as the weeks go on. Me personally, I'm going to double down on this, and I've had conversations with um, with my brother about this, but it would be kind of cool since WrestleMania has gone Hollywood this year, and it's two nights, that we see Edge and Finn Balor in a Hollywood backlot brawl and like pay homage to the Roddy Piper Goldust match from WrestleMania 12. Have have put the match on the first night and it's it's in a remote setting. The tensions between these two have built up to the point where like they can't have a match, a normal match in an arena. It needs to end in a setting like a Hollywood backlot. Um, you know, Edge has had this this Hollywood like return. He's looking to make. He's looking to 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 end his career on a high note on his terms. And Balor wants to spoil this Hollywood ending and be the reason why Edge never wrestles again. And it's it gets settled in a Hollywood backlot brawl. And the, the, the match occurs on night one, but there's really an inconclusive finish. And, and, and mind you, it's done cinematically, okay? So you can cut and paste and CGI, whatever you want to do. And then somehow it spills into night two and then eventually makes its way into the, the stadium. And the, the, the finish takes place in the stadium. Very similar to Piper and Goldust from WrestleMania 12. I think it would be a cool way to, to put an exclamation point at the end of their rivalry. I think Hell in the Cell is a status quo. As much as they want to try and rebrand Hell in the Cell and make it more of a, 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 a concept for blow-off matches as opposed to a regular yearly pay-per-view, I think Edge and Balor in... That type of setting, a Hollywood backlot bra would, would be very fitting. And if you're listening out there, WWE Creative, you can take all the credit you want, but I want to see that match. That's just me personally. I want to see that match. And I think Edge, 
has the creative chops to help make that happen and produce it, as well as I think it's an opportunity for Balor to have a star-making performance at WrestleMania. He has really grown into this role as the the, the de facto leader of the Judgment Day. They're not even really leaders because they've all admitted that they're all you know unit, united as one. Um, but he's really grown into this role. I I've I found a new lease on life when it comes to Finn Balor, and hopefully. A star-making performance. Not saying he's got to win the match. Not saying he's got to lose the match. But a star-making performance against Edge at WrestleMania, I think would really put him over the top and make him a bona fide top contender, top player in the main event scene uh, moving forward after WrestleMania. So um, hopefully we we get that. Um, Let's move on to the men's chamber match. I thought... This was one of the best Elimination Chamber matches in quite some time. I'd put this in like a top five or even a Mount Rushmore of Chamber matches. Um, All parties involved stood out. Um, Bronson Reed with his, 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 his mass and his physical presence in the match. Adapting to the Chamber. Same thing with Damian Priest. The, the, the high-flying... Um, Daredevil risks that the likes of Johnny Gargano and Montez Ford took in the match really stood out. I mean, since Gargano returned to WWE and it's been a staple on the main roster, I've been kind of waiting for something from him. I'll be honest with you. As much as I enjoyed Johnny wrestling in NXT, um, Johnny Gargano on the main roster just was missing something. And we got to see what he was capable of in a setting like that in Elimination Chamber. And I thought he had a hell of a performance. Hell of a performance. Same thing with Montez Ford. Montez Ford killed it. As much as I don't want to see the Street Profits break up, Montez Ford gave me a reason why it's okay for them to break up because of his star-making performance. The only thing I would criticize Montez Ford for during this match was his excessive, his excessive use of crotch chops. It looked like a video game taunt. Like from the old WWF No Mercy game on Nintendo 64. Just constantly crotch chopping to get your energy up so that you can make the big comeback. Um, That was the only thing that I could criticize him for. Other than that, I thought he did an outstanding job standing out um, in in his performance. Damian Priest, I think, did did great as well. Didn't have as big of a performance, but when, when the spotlight was on him, he delivered. Um, even Austin Theory playing the good chicken shit heel, but kind of, you know, fighting through. And then of course, Rollins is Rollins. He's one of the best, um, in-ring performers in the industry today. Uh, maybe some, some dare say the, the Shawn Michaels of this era of wrestling, uh, the matches he's able to have with just about anybody. Um, so between Reed, Ford, Priest, Rollins, Theory, and who was the sixth guy? Reed? Ford, Priest, Rollins, Theory, Gargano. Okay? All six delivered. It was a fantastic match. Absolutely fantastic. Go out of your way to check that out. Between, you know, Ford's climb up inside the chamber and kind of swan diving off into the the, the pile of guys to the, the Hurricane Rana from Johnny Gargano to Seth Rollins off the top of the pod in the chamber onto the other guys on the platform. Unbelievable. And then the finish. Logan Paul's introduction into the match to cost Seth Rollins the opportunity to become the United States champion with Austin Theory picking up the victory. Thought it was well done. You know, Montez Ford, his elimination, 
Medical officials and referees went to check on. The door was open. Logan Paul snuck in. He got a piece of Rollins. It was about time that he made his involvement um, in this match, or in the storyline, I should say, because Rollins has been publicly going on. You know, He went on the Pat McAfee show. He's been on the talk show circuit, podcasts, um, WWE programming, uh, hyping up his, his eventual match with Logan Paul, the, his dislike for Logan Paul, if you will. Um, some people aren't really high on it, but I think it's going to be a great match. And I think Rollins is the perfect person to have that type of match with Logan Paul at WrestleMania. Uh, that, that, that obviously started at the Royal Rumble with Logan Paul's involvement, eliminating Seth Rollins. And we got, um, it's, it's furthered with him costing him the, the match. I think it's going to be great. I've liked how it's progressed so far. Rollins has had some noteworthy um, clickbait comments towards Paul. And, you know, Logan Paul's a natural heel. He's, he's, he's done a great job athletically, and every time he's, he's performed, he's delivered. And he's probably one of the best celebrity crossover wrestlers that there's been in the history of the business. And in a short period of time, he's done that. Between his performance last year at WrestleMania and the tag match with Miz against the Mysterios, the match with Miz at SummerSlam, the crown jewel match with Roman Reigns in Saudi Arabia, his performance in the Royal Rumble. And then now, with the stuff with Seth Rollins, I think Logan Paul, as much as he's benefiting from the association with WWE, WWE's benefiting by having him around because he's a heat magnet. He is a social media pop culture star, and it's it, it benefits all parties involved. So I've been happy to see how that's progressed. And finally, the main event. Um... I'm going to break this down a little bit here. I'm going to talk about a few things. I want to talk about the crowd and the energy in Montreal being Sammy's hometown. I thought it was excellent. It, it, it was a throwback to, and I hate to use this cliche, but it was a throwback to like the big fight feels that we've seen in wrestling. Um, it's just one of those things that, uh, to me, I thought it was... I thought it was well done. Just absolutely, it you couldn't you couldn't paint that picture any better. The hometown kid vying for an opportunity to be the champion against the guy that he had battled with, looked up to, done his bidding for, was the 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 errand boy if you will, of the bloodline. And the emotional roller coaster that that weaved through in the peaks and valleys it hit in the last several months was unreal. Full disclosure, my wife and I were at the Royal Rumble in San Antonio a month ago. And being able to feel that energy as to what this story was able to convey and being there live and then that moment when he nailed Roman with the chair was unbelievable. I just couldn't... I, I, I couldn't... I can't convey in words how awesome it was to be a part of that. And for that to continue in Sammy's hometown, it was just unbelievable to watch. I, I, I was in awe. And for the first time in a very long time, this particular storyline has really grabbed at the majority of wrestling as a whole and has really helped... Um, 
usher in this new era that we're seeing under the, the, the tutelage of creatively of Triple H. And this has been one hell of a ride to be on, to, to witness this story. Um, now, the match itself, awesome. Bell to bell, I thought it was great. The ups and downs, the highs and lows. Roman really playing up the the, the, the nasty heel. Um, the questions surrounding whether Sammy's got the ability to do it. Can he dethrone the champion? The hometown in his back, you know, has his back throughout this whole process. What are the Usos' involvement? We see the Usos get involved. Now there's some questions surrounding Jay. Then Sammy goes for, for Roman. As Romans berating Jay for not siding with the family. Jay, who's been a victim of Roman's abuse over the years, especially these last couple of years in this bloodline story. Things are coming to a head. And then, boom, Sammy nails Jay inadvertently. Roman capitalizes, picks up the victory, and deflates the air in that crowd and in that arena. Now, <coughs> excuse me. There's an argument to be made that Sami Zayn should have won the title and gone to WrestleMania as the champion. There are a lot of people out there that think that. Based on how organic his built has been and how behind the audience is with him. And it's a strong argument. I don't necessarily disagree with it. However, within the context of this story, Sammy losing is just another layer of the onion to peel back. And the dynamic that he has with Jay. An individual who months prior questioned Sammy's allegiance to the bloodline. That he was just tagging along for notoriety. That he couldn't be trusted. And then Sammy showed his true colors. And showed that he could be trusted. And Jay welcomed him with open arms. And then you saw a bond form between the two of them. To me, Sammy's trajectory right now is on the right path with the involvement with Jay and Jay's question, Jay's questioned status within the group. Was Jay going to turn on his friend or was Jay going to turn on his family? And that was the, the, the predicament that he was in. And people... And fans out there on wrestling Twitter are outraged that Sami Zayn did not win the WWE Undisputed Universal title. That he didn't go into WrestleMania. Now, there's also the argument that Sami's been a ratings needle mover on SmackDown. And he's been a big merch mover. And those are several barometers that could lead to a decision of putting the title on him. And while that's true in most cases, this story's different. This story was never really about Sammy and his quest to be the champion. That only really came into play the last month or so. Okay? This story was about Sammy being accepted within the group and Sammy realizing that Roman and the group the exception of Jay, were just using him. And Sammy fought back. And 
we got what we got at Royal Rumble. And then Jay, who was so torn because of what he did to stick up for Sammy and the history that the two of them have and how conflicted he was and his history with the the abuse that he has sustained from Roman during his tenure in the bloodline, even growing up. They even went back as far as the two of them growing up as kids and how Roman used to bully and pick on him too. All of that comes into play, man. And to me, there's still a story there. Sammy not winning at Elimination Chamber or Sammy not even winning the championship from Roman at WrestleMania isn't the end-all be-all with Sammy. There's still the love-hate dynamic that he has with Kevin Owens. There's still the link between him and Jay. And is Jay his friend? Is Jay with the family? There's still all of that in play. Before Sammy was even a thought in most fans' minds to dethrone Roman Reigns, most people saw the endgame as Sammy and Jay. Whether they clash or whether they form a bond or whatever. Now we're getting that, but because Sammy didn't win the title, people have sour grapes over it. And to me, I still think they can get to Sammy and Roman at a later date. Now, Roman and Cody, okay? Now, now here's, before I, sorry, before I even get to that. What does it look like if Sami Zayn wins the WWE Championship and defeats Roman Reigns after a over 900-day reign as champion, the longest of the modern era, okay? He's in the top four or top five of longest reigning champions in WWE history. He's in that conversation with Bob Backlund, Bruno Sammartino, and Hulk Hogan, okay? Actually, he's even passed... He's in the four. He's not even top five. He's top four. What does that do heading into WrestleMania? Especially during an era or during a time period where the company is looking to sell. So are you going to go with an unproven commodity in Sami Zayn as your champion to shareholders and investors? Are you going to go with somebody who who has a proven track record of being a top draw in the last several years? And that's Roman Reigns. And that's not to discredit Sami Zayn's ability or what he's done up to this point. None whatsoever, okay? I wouldn't have had a problem if Sami Zayn won the title, okay? As long as it made sense. Could it have made sense? It could have. But this story also makes sense too in that he was screwed. And now he wants to take apart the bloodline. But that doesn't mean he's not going to come for Roman, okay? And let's let's just make the argument here. Sammy wins, okay? A lot of people have thrown out these scenarios. Triple threat. Or Sammy faces Roman on night one. The winner faces Cody on night two. Doesn't that water down the dynamic that Sammy has with KO? Doesn't that water down the dynamic that Sammy has with Jay in this story? Doesn't it water down Cody Rhodes' role as the challenger after he won the 2023 Royal Rumble match? Putting the title on Sammy Zayn before WrestleMania could wash away all of those well-told stories, okay? And Sami Zayn brought up a good point in an interview with Ariel Helwani recently, of all people, that there's a big difference between what's going on with him now and what took place with Daniel Bryan in 2014, leading to WrestleMania 30, in that the audience was so rabid for Bryan to win, and they were so outraged at all of his shortcomings, both in front of the camera as well as 
behind the scenes too. The audience now has been able to go on this ride with this story because it's been told well and it's been crafted well, very well, mind you, with all the players involved, Roman, Sammy, Jay, Paul Heyman, everyone that's been key components in this Sami Zayn bloodline saga has all played their part to a T. Even Solo Sokoa, who doesn't say shit, has done a great job being a silent man. Jimmy Uso, who was once Sammy's buddy in this bloodline, defended Sammy to Jay. Now the opposite. His brother Jay, his twin, has a stronger bond with Sammy than he does with him. All these elements and components that are out there in the universe to to expand upon. You're going to throw that all away by trying to create a hometown pop for one night with him as the champion. Okay? This doesn't mean that the story ends for Sammy. You still have to play on the 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 love-hate relationship with Kevin Owens. You still have the 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 question in the air with him and Jay. Was Jay going to turn on him? Was Jay going to side with him? Where does Jay stand? He's so confused. He's so torn. Jay's relationship with Roman and how that's going to shit because of, because of the position that Jay feels Roman put him in. All of that gets thrown away for a one-night hometown pop. Just remember that. You could still get to Sammy and Roman. Whether Roman wins the title or not. Or keeps the title at WrestleMania against Cody or not. I tend to lean. I'm 50-50 right now. You make the strong argument that Cody's the guy to dethrone Roman. Okay? Because they've done a great job with that story as well. Okay? Cody coming back. Wins the Rumble. Doing it for his dad. Etc. Etc. Roman the dominant champion. The force that's in Cody's way. They've done a great job putting that story together while maintaining the Sami Zayn saga as well. Two over baby faces, which hasn't been the case in a very long time in WWE. Okay? And Roman Reigns, the top draw, the biggest heel in the company. All right? They got something special here. Now, I'm 50-50. Cody could win it. And it would make sense within the context of the story that all this turmoil that Roman's been dealing with, with the shit with Sammy, with the shit with Jay, within his bloodline, that he lost sight of what was important and Cody took advantage and capitalized and defeated him to become the champion. Or there's the idea that Roman wins by the skin of his nuts at WrestleMania because of the chaos involving Jay and Sammy and the rest of the bloodline. There's multiple different avenues that this story can land and, and, and where this can go with all these parties involved and it all will make sense. The issue that most of the fans have is because it's not their narrative. It's not their ending. It's not their blow off. It's not their big picture. And that's what I saw with most people online on Twitter and on Facebook. It wasn't their ending. It wasn't their, their storybook ending. So it's so so anything else is fucking garbage. Anything else is is you're just fanboying at best. 
And that's fine. That's your opinion on it. That's going to help you sleep better at night to rationalize your thoughts and feelings and have at it. Demean and dismiss other people's opinions and alternative scenarios and perspectives on it. That's you. Do it. Don't really care. But just the one thing I want to take from all this is that watching that match, being able to go along for that ride. Yes, the finish wasn't like, oh my God, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. It wasn't a slam dunk finish. I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to say it. It felt a little underwhelming, okay? But I think it was designed to do that. It was designed to put more sympathy on Sami Zayn. To get people behind him more on his march towards ending the bloodline. And along the way, trying to repair his friendship with Kevin Owens. Trying to understand what his relationship is with Jey Uso at the moment. So many different variables that I think that that finish was designed to, in a way, come across as flat. Because it was supposed to deflate the air out of the audience that expected and hoped and wanted and prayed for Sami Zayn to defeat Roman Reigns. And become the champion. And who's to say that we still can't get that moment? Who's to say down the line we don't get a Sami Zayn-Roman Reigns rematch? As a matter of fact, this finish, in a way, gives you an explanation to get a rematch down the line. Now, whether they change the course at WrestleMania and they turn it into a triple threat. Or they have Roman wrestle on both nights and pull double duty. I don't know. I don't think that's the greatest idea. Because I, I think, that once again, that waters down all the other variables that are in play with Kevin Owens, with Jey Uso, and even Cody Rhodes' story. It waters all that down. It dilutes everything. So, that's where I stand when it comes to the main event. I thought the show was fantastic. Yes, the finish might felt felt kind of flat. I think it was designed to be that way. It wasn't a slam dunk finish, but it accomplished a lot of things. And those are my opinions. And that's what I'm sticking to. And if you got a problem with it, you can find me on social media. You can blast me. You can say whatever you want. I don't give a fuck. I really don't care. All I want is to have a constructive conversation with people about wrestling and not have it turn into uh, uh, people taking shots at each other personally because they don't agree with their opinion, because they don't share the same feelings as they do. It's fucking wrestling at the end of the day. And I got lost in it, and I was happy, and I was satisfied, and I'm satisfied to see where the story continues to go with Sami Zayn and the bloodline moving forward. And with the Roman Reigns-Cody Rhodes build towards their title match at WrestleMania. So, that's where I stand with all that. Thank you all so very much for checking this out. Um, I I, I appreciate you taking the time to to hear me banter about all things uh, wrestling and WWE this past weekend. Um, our next episode got got a got a, a plan to recap the March second, nineteen ninety eight episode of Monday Night Raw. That was the night that Mike Tyson joined Degeneration X. I just watched that back recently. I'm going to give you a full, extensive recap of that episode as we continue the 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 march to WrestleMania. We got an episode of Nitro coming up. Another recap for you uh, in the in the coming weeks. I'm going to recap the nineteen ninety eight um, March sixteenth, nineteen ninety eight episode. Uh, emanating from uh, Daytona Beach Spring Break where they put the ring in the middle of the pool. It was the night after WCW Uncensored. The main event was Sting and Lex Luger against Hollywood Hogan and the Macho Man when Sting came out from a helicopter right in the middle of the ring, in the middle of the beach. It's pretty fun. 
So uh, I'm going to watch that and then recap it for all of you. Uh, got a WrestleMania roulette watch along coming up with Dennis shortly, as well as some other WrestleMania related content coming for you as we head towards WrestleMania uh, the first weekend in April, April 1st and April 2nd. Um, and that about does it. And I think it's about that time that we officially put this show down for the three count. And we'll see you all next time.